Well, as I said, it's a new year, and uh, a new year often brings with it uh, a recognition of our own need for new resolve. Uh, maybe not by a show of hands, but have you crafted your New Year's resolutions yet? Or are you behind on your to-do list? <clears throat> um, uh, there's not really anything wrong with resolutions in and of themselves for a new year. But I, I am afraid of something with resolutions because I've been guilty of this myself. That what we're doing is setting our hopes on these lofty aspirations for these big wins. And, and we believe that if we satisfy our resolutions, if we if we make it through the year or make it through January and achieve at least one of our resolutions uh, and not fail at all of them, uh, then, then this year is going to be a successful year, or, or at least it's going to be better than last year, right? Or better than two years ago. What if, however, we actually lowered our aim a little bit from these lofty goals? What if, friends, that you resolved yourself this year, in 2023, the year of our Lord, to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Now, if you're still with me and you're not asleep after your New Year's celebrations last night, you may be thinking, Thomas, that doesn't sound like we've lowered the aim any. Live a life, a whole year of my life in a way that is worthy of the gospel? That, that sounds astronomical, unattainable. And in ways, I will admit that yes, it is impossible, especially if you try to do it on your own. But in other ways, I believe that this is an extremely ordinary and you may even accuse it of being a mundane thing to do with your life. Because the typical approach to resolutions, as I said, is to set these big goals with these big achievements in order that the much-needed change and modification and growth that we long for will happen this year. Because it didn't happen last year. However, the gospel living and having a life that is worthy of Jesus' good news is really achieved in the tiny moments that you and I live our life in day by day. You see, it's in these brief moments of things like office water cooler talk, dinner table conversations with family or friends, pillow talk with your spouse, a text thread with your extended family that sometimes gets off the rails. Or a wrong order at Chick-fil-A. My pleasure. Never happens, does it? Or a wrong order at Starbucks. Always happens. Uh, diaper changes. Broken appliances. This is where life really is lived. This is where the gospel can come to bear. In these tiny moments. Because in those ordinary moments, you, especially if you are a Christian, you have 
a divinely ordained opportunity to represent God and the gospel, or choose the ways of your flesh, the world, and the devil. I pray you choose the former. So, friends, what would it be like? What would it be like if this year you resolved to live every little mundane moment in such a way that it is regularly worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What a year that would be. So I don't want you to just take my word for a call to live this worthy life of the gospel of Jesus. I want us to look to God's word. So if you have a copy of God's word, I encourage you to open it up to, for the, to the letter of Philippians in chapter one. And if you don't have a Bible, <clears throat> you can find the text on page 921 in the Bibles around you in those seat backs. And I would encourage you, if you don't have a copy of God's word, and you need one, please take that Bible in that seat back with you today. We would gladly give it to you. So let's look at what Paul writes in Philippians 1, 27-30. Only... Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the blessing of a new year. For some of us, new, be new beginnings, new commitments. But Father, I pray that us as Your people, that Pillar Church of Washington, D.C., would have a year that marks each and every one of our lives that it could be said of us that we lived a life worthy of the gospel, God. And we desperately need your help to do it. We cannot do it on our own. Father, I dare say that I may not want to do it if it were left up to me. But praise be unto your Son Jesus who has blessed us with the Spirit who empowers us to live these kind of lives. Oh God, come to our aid now. And help us. Help us live lives worthy of the gospel of your Son, Jesus. It's in His mighty and matchless and marvelous name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, if you are a note taker, I'll give you a few handlebars to hold on to. Uh, the title of my sermon this morning, you may have already come up with it yourselves, Resolved to Live a Life worthy of the gospel. 
And if you walk away with anything else this morning, I want you to walk away with this. The main point of our time together. Christ has transformed us with His Gospel compelling us to live worthy lives. Christ has transformed us with His Gospel compelling us to live worthy lives. The structure of our time together is going to be broken up into three main questions that I see arising from the text. Uh, The first question that uh, we're going to answer is, what is a worthy life? What does Paul even mean by living a worthy life? The the second question, because I I am very afraid, especially after my experience at home over the past few days, over the Christmas break, that the gospel is often assumed in preaching. We just think people understand it and know what it is. I'm not going to assume the gospel this morning, friends. We're going to answer the question, what is the gospel? So what is a worthy life? What is the gospel? And the third question I aim to answer this morning is why in the world does it all matter? Why should I set myself in this direction? Why, Thomas, should I resolve myself to live such a year worthy of the gospel? Friends, I hope that I help us answer those questions during our time together in studying God's Word. Clearly, we're jumping into the end of chapter 1 here. We started in verse 27. There's 26 other verses that follow this or that that precede this. I want to give us a little bit of a context of what's going on. You see, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church to encourage them. They desperately needed encouragement in the situation that they were in, and Paul wanted to encourage these believers. They were worried about Paul's imprisonment in Rome, because that's where Paul is writing from right now, imprisoned in Rome or on the way to Rome. And... The church in Philippi had actually experienced some division within the church. See chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. And I would even encourage you, it only take you about maybe 15 to 20 minutes to read this entire letter. Just take a couple of of opportunities this afternoon to read through uh, this, this letter to the Philippians and see the riches of Paul's words to these brothers and sisters. But specifically here in this section, in 1.27-30, which actually has a, a sister paragraph in 2.1-4, Paul is writing to encourage the Philippians about two things. One, external pressures from outside the church of persecution and threats, and also internal pressures that have arisen because of divisiveness within the church. I don't aim to address what's found in 2, 1 to 4. I'm only going to stick with 27, uh, 1, 27 to 30 this morning. Where Paul is addressing these pressures that the Philippian Christians are experiencing from outside of the church. These pressures could be political, whether that's local politics, because Philippi was a Roman community, completely founded in Rome. You can go back and read in Acts chapter 16 where Paul, when he gets to Philippi, he can't find any Jews in Philippi because it's a completely Roman city. So he has to go outside the city, down by the river, to find where Christians are gathering to pray or at least God-fearing people are gathering to pray. The pressure could also come from conflicts with their neighbors, 
and businessmen and women in the marketplace. Uh, remember in Acts 16, a little bit uh, towards the middle of the chapter, Paul uh, is going to the place of prayer down by the river and he hears this girl that's harassing him and she finds out she's being trafficked. He turns around, shares the gospel with her. She gets saved and the human trafficking uh, operation there in Philippi gets turned upside down and some people get really mad about it. And they throw Paul and Silas in prison. So pressure that Paul had in Philippi before is creeping up again in the Philippian church. And friends, I want us to be really honest with ourselves. We are living in days where pressures are growing from outside of the church that are making it increasingly difficult to live with Christian convictions, Christian beliefs, and to trust and hold to and affirm Christian doctrine. I'm not advocating for us to become some type of culture warrior or calling us to say and put our trust only in the government's power to establish Christian morals. No, friends, I am being honest about the real pressures and persecutions that we must be ready for when it comes to being pro-life from womb to tomb or, or holding to the conviction that we are created as image bearers of God to whom we will give an answer to on the day of Christ's return or believing in and in a created and designed biological sex determined by God, not determined by the way we feel or the way that we want to express ourselves, or the pressures that are going to exist and come and are, are I mean, I believe an avalanche is coming towards us on this one, where we are committed to believe that marriage is, an, is instituted by God and God alone, not the government, not a Supreme Court. And it is only a, a relationship between one man and one woman, and it should last a lifetime. And any sexual activity outside of that, biblical relationship, is sinful. Friends, these things are unpopular. And dare I say, if we continue to hold to them, and I pray that we do, and several others, pressure, persecutions, trials, and sufferings are coming. Will you live a life worthy of the Gospel? Yes, these beliefs and doctrines and convictions are not popular. We're not living... But we are not living lives to receive the stance of approval of our co-workers, our companies, or congressmen and congresswomen. We are living lives as Christians in ways that are worthy of our Savior and the good news that his, of His life, death, and resurrection, that, that, that they, those things really are. That is good news. That is worth living your life for. It is worth clinging to Him and Him alone for. Jesus Christ lived, bled, and died and was resurrected not for us to capitulate to the demands of humanity, but to save us to the uttermost. 
that we might live faithfully in the midst of the pressures and persecutions that are arising. Rewards here, friends, rewards here on earth are just that. Earthly, temporal rewards that will not last one second past your death. But being a recipient of what Christ has offered us, it will bring discomfort. It will bring pain. It will bring sorrow. It will bring heartbreak and possibly even death. But none of those things will take you out of the strong, mighty right hand of our God and His presence. None of them will remove eternal life from you. None of them will cause you to lose your precious, blood-bought salvation. So, will you resolve yourself to live a worthy life? But what is a worthy life? What does it look like? Look with me back with verse 27, just the first part. Only let your manner of life be worthy. Be worthy of the gospel. Christians, Christians, we are capable of living a life worthy of representing God and the gospel. You see, the idea that Paul is writing about here in verse 27 is very similar to, if not equivalent with the idea that one lives like a citizen of the town or country in which he identifies with. And just think about it. We just, or maybe some of you just watched the World Cup. Many of those players play in European leagues. But where did they play for the World Cup? They they played with the country they identified with. They, They played with the country of their nationality. You see... This is what Paul is talking about when he talks about living a life worthy of the gospel. It couldn't even be written or conveyed in like this. Live like you are a citizen of heaven because Jesus made it possible for you to identify with heaven and her God. Friends, Paul is calling the Philippians and he's calling you and I, if we follow Jesus, to live lives as though we are citizens of heaven because Jesus made it possible for us to identify with heaven and identify with God. That's great news. That is wonderful. That is something worth staking your life on. You see, if you're a Christian, you've placed your faith your full trust in Jesus. He is your only hope. He's the only one that can accredit to you righteousness that will allow you to stand before God. You've placed your faith in Him and in placing your faith in Him, not only has has He gifted you righteousness, but He's also given you privileged positions in the kingdom of God. You've also been given great responsibility and even authority as heaven's representatives. You, friend, if in Christ, are a citizen not of a country of men, but a kingdom of priests, forgiven rebels, once estranged image bearers. That's where you belong. This is home. The kingdom of God. Listen to these things these privileges and responsibilities 
You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ if you are in Him, seated with Him in the heavenly places. You're a saint. You're a saved sinner. You're a child of the Father of heaven. You're an ambassador to King Jesus and His kingdom. You're a bride of Christ. You're the sheep of the great shepherd. You're slaves of righteousness possessed by or purchased by Christ's blood. You're a brother or sister of the Most High King. Let that sink in for a minute. If you are a Christian, your brother is Jesus Christ who sits on the throne of God. That is good news. You are one of God's people. You belong to Him. And He says, you are mine. You're a member of a holy nation belonging to God when you were once not even close to being a part of the family line. I've said this before standing before you, but I don't know any of us in here that come from a Jewish lineage. But if you are in Christ, you have been grafted into that line and you are a child of Abraham. So, what lofty titles we have. So living a life worthy of such lofty titles demands that we trust in God and His will for our lives. Friends, you may need to ask about some of your resolutions this year if they're escape hatches to what God is really calling you to. Because friends, if we are suffering because of our faith, we need to ask ourselves if we're doing so in a manner worthy of the gospel. If we're struggling against the desires of our flesh, are we doing so in a manner worthy of the gospel? If we're fighting against sinful, worldly ways of envy, entitlement, idolatry, and covetousness, are we doing so in a way that is worthy of the gospel? If we're beset with the fear of man, are we trusting in our big, gracious, kind, merciful God in a worthy way? And not only are we needing to ask ourselves those questions, but a worthy life lived united with those. A worthy life is a life lived united with those who are members of the church that we are members of. Recall, friends, that Philippians, the letter to the Philippians was written to the church at Philippi. When he says, let your manner be of life be worthy, that your is a plural you. He's not just talking to individual Christians, he's talking to the whole church. So it's important for us to think about not only how we're going to live our individual lives and live out our individual resolutions and this individual resolve to follow after Jesus and live a life worthy of Him, but how are we going to do it together as a church? Because if you're a child of God, you're a member of His family. In Pillar Church of Washington, D.C., we are family members. We are more family members than the family members you spent Christmas with. 
Because the blood of Jesus is stronger and more powerful and more potent than any familial blood we've ever received. So let us not capitulate to the ways of the world. Look with me again at the end of verse 27 where Paul writes, he says that you are that he wants to hear that you, all the saints at Philippi, are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Standing firm here and striving for the faith are Paul's way of saying to the Philippians that they must be committed to God's word and the doctrine that has been passed down to the church. That's what they are, that's what they have one mind about. That, that's, the, that's the thing that they're striving for in the faith of the gospel. So let us not fool ourselves into believing that we can just merely agree, mentally assent, or say, hey, I think those are some good doctrines, Thomas. I really like those. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to those. Now we can't just merely agree to the doctrines once passed down to us from the apostles and our forefathers. Friends, if we're really honest with ourselves, there are various efforts, not only outside of the church, but in our own hearts to call us or to call what we believe about the Bible and the doctrine that we affirm. The, the world in our hearts at times want to call it backwards, old-fashioned, prudish or even mistaken i mean doesn't the history doesn't the history channel say something different about jesus in the bible than what you you crazy christians believe my trust is not in the history channel my trust is in god and his word and what has been passed down to us in multiple moments in your life in those little moments that you live your life that i live my life we will be tempted to believe lies. We will be tempted to believe half-truths. We will be tempted to deny the biblical doctrines found in Pillar Church of Washington, D.C.'s statement of faith. Those pressures are coming. Are you prepared for them? You see, friends, we must be united and stand firm and strive against every effort to erode our trust in God and His eternal Word. There is one thing that we are told that will last forever, and it is not heaven and earth. It is not the rewards we will receive here. It is the eternal Word of God. Not a jot or tittle will waste away. Life. Human flourishing unshakable promises, persevering encouragement are found here, friends. Here. What are you doing in your life to regularly and persistently ground yourself in God's Word and the doctrine that you say with your mouth that you believe? Maybe you just need to resolve to read the book of Philippians this year and camp out there for a while. Maybe you do need a one-year Bible reading plan. I leave that up to you and the Spirit. 
But I tell you, you will not go wrong in familiarizing yourself and falling deeply in love and mining out the treasures found here in God's Word. It will not be a year wasted in your life. Maybe, especially members of Pillar Church of Washington, D.C., and those of you who are thinking about becoming members of church, members of this church, maybe, just maybe, you do this crazy thing and you take some time to study the statement of faith. What do we believe? Do I actually believe it? Do I trust it? Does it shape my heart and my affections for God and His people and the church and the world? Does it put action to my steps? Maybe you do that in a discipleship meetup. Maybe you do that on your own. And next week, Doug is going to unveil our new discipleship pathway. I encourage you to be here next Sunday to learn more and more, more about what it means to be in a one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationship. And we're actually going to be unveiling some new material that is coupled with Follow Jesus. It's called uh, Know Jesus. No, no, so I'm sorry. Flip that around. So coupled with Know Jesus, which we've already produced and many of you have copies of and are going through with other people, we're, we're producing a new book called uh, Follow Jesus. And Doug's going to talk about that more next week. Or maybe you plan to join a small group where you will be encouraged and equipped to walk faithfully as you live out your own faith in Jesus Christ. As we press each other, encourage each other to live a life worthy of the Gospel. So that's what a worthy life looks like. But what is this gospel I keep talking about? What is the gospel that we represent? The gospel, simply friends, is good news. Good news. Okay? This good news compels Christians to live worthy lives. So what Jesus did in living and dying and being resurrected from the grave is dramatically transforming for Christians. So one thing you may ask yourself is, has the gospel really radically transformed my life? Am I living differently because of the good news of Jesus? Because verse 27 says, only let your manner of life be worthy of Something else in this world has to offer? No. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, this gospel is good news. And it's news. It's not an opinion. It's not general information that could be quickly acknowledged but then forgotten until it's needed. It's not advice either. The news Paul is writing about here is news that I'm going to share with you in just a moment. It's not something that you should be indifferent towards. And for those of us who are Christians who hear the good news regularly from this pulpit, I pray every time you hear it, it encourages your heart. It blesses your soul. News conveys something that's already taken place. It's like the dentist telling you that you have a cavity. Now, 
that's news that your tooth is decaying and you need to do something about it. And so I've heard from one of my dentist friends uh, that if you don't do anything about it, it turns into a root canal. So you can't just ignore it. Shrugging your shoulders at what your dentist said or ignoring it or worse, denying it is not going to change the fact that your tooth is rotting out of your mouth. What are you going to do about it? Well, the news that Paul is referring to here is makes, sound, makes a cavity sound like child's play because he's referring to, in this letter, the gospel that, the, that Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited one who would make all bad things right, all the broken things whole, correct all the untrue things, He has arrived. He's come. The person that God promised long ago in the Garden of Eden who would be the great snake crusher, the Satan defeater, and the seed of the woman born of a virgin who we just spent several days celebrating. Jesus has been born. He's come. The Messiah has arrived. This is the news. What are you going to do about it? He's come. The long-awaited one is here. And this is amazing news. News that drew shepherds from fields, angels down from heaven, wise kings from other nations afar came flooding into the little town of Bethlehem at the news that Jesus was born. The news that Jesus' birth long ago prophesied in the Jewish law, history, poetry, song, and prophecy has indeed happened. And it happened in the little, the wee, wee little town of Bethlehem. This is news heard round the known world at the time and news celebrated around the world just a few days ago. But it's not just news. It's not just any news. It's good news. Consider all the things that make it good, friends. Because there are people in the day of Jesus and in our day who don't think this is very good news. But just listen to this. The thing that makes this news so good is that it's true. It's true news. It's not hashtag fake news. It's good, true news. Jesus of Nazareth born in Bethlehem, is indeed the long-awaited Messiah. The Gospels, the, four, the first four books of your New Testament, are written to tell us that Jesus' ministry and how all the things that He did in living and dying and being resurrected from the grave demonstrate that He is the true Son of God. Jesus is the God-man who is worthy of your following your imitation, and He is worthy to stake your lives upon. 
In living, the, in living, Jesus obeyed the law perfectly and obeyed our Heavenly Father's will to bear the sins of the world as our representatives and our substitute. In dying, He subjected Himself to the curse of sin, hanging on a tree naked, ashamed, was punished on our behalf. He received the death at the cross that we deserved and He never deserved. You and I deserve this death because of our willful acts of disobedience against God's law. And in the resurrection, Jesus Christ defeated the great enemies of humanity. He defeated sin and death and the devil. That is good news. The news could not get any better except for the truth that God draws sinful people to Himself by the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, our lack of righteousness, and the reality that there is a day coming, friends, that we will stand before God and give an account to our lives. Judgment is coming. And He grants to us, those who believe in Jesus Christ, He grants to us faith that we might receive from Jesus that righteousness that Elias prayed for about earlier. A righteousness that is alien to us, that comes from outside of us, that is deposited to us, in us, accounted to us, that we might stand before God under His judgment and not be found wanting, but be found righteous because of Jesus Christ. And He grants us this faith to believe in Jesus and identify with our Savior in a suffering like His. Look with me back at verse 29. For it has been granted to you. Friends, that means that your faith is not your own. You didn't muster it up. You didn't turn over a new leaf and find it. You didn't resolve to get it one year. It has been granted to you. It is a gift of God that you trust in Jesus. And He has done this. It has been granted to you that for, for the sake of Jesus that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. And friends, I want you to know, if you have not trusted in Christ as your only hope in life and death, I would encourage you to talk to someone who's sitting beside you about what it means to believe in Jesus and follow Him. Or please come talk, find me afterwards. I would love to talk to you about what it means to put your faith in Jesus and follow Him all of your days because it is worth it. It is worth it. So we've considered what it means to live a worthy life. We've looked at what, it, what the Gospel is, what this good news is. Let's answer the last question. Why does living a worthy life really matter? Well, let's look back at 28 to 29. Or 28 to 30. Paul says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Your lack of fear because of your trust in Jesus and living a worthy life 
This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. So, how we live our lives matters because it directly represents God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to ourselves and the ones who oppose us. Living a worthy life matters, friends, because the way we live our lives represents God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And it says something to us when we look ourselves in the mirror in the mornings, and it says something to those who are opposing us. First, to those who oppose us. Verse 28 says that our enemies will be shown that we cannot be broken and they will be destroyed by God. How that happens, I leave that up to the Lord. But woe be to those who oppress and oppose the people of God. The second thing this does is that it affirms our salvation. It's not only for the sake of their destruction, but it's also for your salvation. Living a worthy life, day by day, getting up and trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ and committed to, with resolve to live a life worthy of that gospel is evidence that you've been saved. Church friends, if you get up aiming to live for Jesus, Dare I say that God is at work in your life. Because I don't know anyone who would want to confess Him as Lord and Savior who God is not working to change their hearts to do such a thing. Why submit to such a king? Because we know it's worth it. You see, God has gifted us faith. Therefore, we should live in such a way that we faithfully represent Him in the world. It's just that simple. You've been gifted faith. You've been gifted something that didn't belong to you, that you didn't earn, that you shouldn't have gotten. God granted it to you, and you put that faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because of such, such a marvelous gift that has been given to you, you should live a worthy life. You should faithfully represent God and the gift He's given you in the world. But we can't ignore the fact that Paul also writes that he's not only given us this faith in order that we might believe, but he's also given it to us that we might suffer for the sake of Christ. I mean, if we're honest, friends, that's a hard pill to swallow. I mean, I don't know anybody who wakes up in the morning wanting to go, I'm, I'm going to suffer today. We're not masochists looking to suffer. But as we cling to this Word, as we cling to the doctrines of our faith, as we cling to what is taught to us, suffering will come, friends. And He's granted it to us that we would suffer for the sake of Christ. We have been given a faith and a salvation 
that can withstand the trials and pressures and persecutions of this world. The faith, if it's, if it's true faith given to you by God, placed in Jesus Christ, is not something lost or easily waned away. You see, when we live in opposition to the ways of the world and the schemes of the devil, we will experience sufferings in this world. They may be light and momentary. They may be somewhat easy to walk through now. But God's Word is true. And if we keep living in this life and Christ keeps tarrying, it's not going to get any easier, friends. And there's three things that are true. And I encourage you to write these things down because you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted in 2023 to not believe these things. The first thing that is true. We have a Savior who has taught us how to suffer. We have a Savior who has taught us how to suffer. Secondly, we have the Holy Spirit to empower us to resist and persevere. So we have a Savior who has taught us how to suffer. We have a Holy Spirit who empowers us to persevere and resist. And third, and I pray this is true of you, and if it's not true of you, I would encourage you, in a few weeks, I believe on the 29th of January, we're going to have... Uh, membership class, join yourself to this local church. But the third thing is true is that we have one another as members of this church. We were never called to walk through this through the trials and sufferings of life alone. We are to be united to one another, standing firm in the faith of the gospel. Are you united? Are we united? We must be ready to encourage one another with edifying words and God's Word as we talk with one another. Why do we encourage you to stick around here and talk with one another after the service? Yeah, we want you to get each other's phone numbers and have lunches and things like that, but we also want you to spend time encouraging one another because the week ahead is going to be hard. Those little moments are going to creep up and you're going to be so tempted to not live a life worthy of the Gospel. Will you go from here encouraged? So I want to encourage you with a few texts this morning from God's Word that will prayerfully embolden you of your resolve to live a life worthy of the Gospel. And I would, I would encourage you to consider setting a goal for yourself to memorize these texts this year. It's not a lot. It can be done. But listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, 10 through 12. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 to 18. Peter writes to the church suffering, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Sounds like living a life worthy of the gospel, doesn't it? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Do you hear that, friends? Jesus, our Savior, suffered for unrighteous people like you and me that He might bring us to God. Titus 2, 11-14 For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Oh friend, be encouraged, be equipped by the Word of God to go forth into the world. I'm going to call the music team up as I conclude this morning. So we looked at those three questions. What is a worthy life? What is the Gospel? And why does it matter? It matters because Christ, if you are a Christian, Christ has transformed us with His good news, compelling us to live worthy lives of that Gospel. Friends, family, wouldn't it be a year worth celebrating if you resolve to live every moment of 2023 in a way that is worthy of the Gospel of Jesus Christ?